Well, good morning, church. It is indeed an honor to have the opportunity to worship uh, here with you today. I'm going to invite you, if you will, uh, to turn in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at a letter written by John, 1 John, uh, in just a few moments. But before we get into that, let me say just a few thank yous uh, to you. First of all, as an employee of the Mississippi Baptist Convention Board, as well as a BSU director at Pearl River Community College, thank you. As a church, thank you as a church family for your support through the cooperative program. Also, thank you for your willingness to share and to help us in ministry uh, to students at PRCC. I have been blessed over the past 11 years to be a part of the ministry at Pearl River Community College. And, and I thank you. Uh, for that that wonderful opportunity. I, uh, as Corey shared with you a few moments ago, I have come to love that boy. Oh, he's something else, isn't he? Now let me just say to you right now, I've been praying, I have been praying pretty hard for the McGee family over the past several months. <laughs> and I'll continue that, Brother Ron, okay? I'll continue uh, that. But we have had some good, good times uh, together, both this morning in the, in the 8 o'clock service and today, uh, just listening to him lead us and, and worship and it being, it being genuine. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You know, some people, a lot of times in churches, just kind of go through the motions of worshiping our God. You are blessed. You are blessed to have someone leading you uh, in this in this way. Um, yeah, you can do that. Now I have to I have to be honest with you. I know more about James than I know James. I've learned just this morning he has jokes. <laughs> Did not know that. Let me tell you what I do know about him. I know that he loves your students. And students, those of you that have a part or an opportunity to be a part of Disciple Now, stop praying about it and just sign up. Whatever there is that's been standing in the way, don't let that get in the way. Because who knows what God can do in your life this weekend if you'll just turn everything else off for a little while and be intentional on focusing on His love uh, for, for you. You know, we as the church have a responsibility. And that's one of the main things that I would like for us to focus upon this morning in the very brief time that we have together. We as the church have the responsibility to share the joy of Christ, the joy that we have received, the joy that we have come to understand because of the grace of God and God sending His Son to be that ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Now, in addition to serving as the uh, director at the Baptist Student Union, God has also afforded me wonderful opportunities to supply preach, like for you uh, today, to also serve churches in our five-county di uh, five district uh, in interim pastor positions. And let me share with you, there are a number of churches throughout our entire region that are struggling, that are suffering. And to be a little more transparent with you, they are suffering and they're struggling because they are about to implode from within. And they're about to implode from within because for some reason, 
They have missed the whole concept of understanding, once again, the responsibility that we have, as well as the opportunity, to demonstrate and to share the joy of Christ with everybody. People inside the church and most definitely people outside of these walls. I shared with the church a a few weeks ago and... um, I think it's something true to share today as as well. Joy is a lot like love. It's not only an emotion, but it's also a decision. We have to choose to be joyful. Sometimes we may not be happy, but we can choose to be joyful and to communicate that joy that we have come to understand or continuing to grow in and, and understand. Can you believe that we're almost halfway through, as James said? By the end of this week, we'll be halfway through January. It is my hope for you that as we go through this year, as you go through a year of great change for your church, because most likely, hopefully, before this year is over, you will have a new shepherd for your church. And I hope that you are praying, not just on a Sunday morning, but on a continual basis. You're praying for the people that you've given the responsibility in seeking out God's man. Can I share this with you? I believe God's already working on the person that he wants to have here with you. So it's so important to focus upon the joy of the Lord and to, and to share that. You know, a few moments ago, we, we sang a few songs. Corey led us, Corey Lord led us in a song uh, a few moments ago, Cornerstone, because we all have different storms that we go through in our, in our lives from time to time, but through the storm, He is what? He is Lord? He just Lord of us at First Baptist? No. He's Lord of all people. Our choir just a few moments ago sang, and this is one of the key phrases that I heard in the song, God is the strength. Did you hear them? God is the strength. Those of you in robes, help us out. God is the strength of what? He's the strength of my heart. And folks, that's not just a song. That's not just lyrics put together to a nice tune, you know, to to entertain us. That should be something that we choose to live by and reflect in our everyday life. We're going to have challenges in doing that. Our God knows that we're going to have challenges. Our God already knows the challenges that we are dealing with individually here and now. I believe that he also gave a message to this guy who at one time was considered to be the youngest of the disciples, who by the time he has written this letter, 1 John, he wrote several other documents that we have in the New Testament. He wrote a gospel uh, explaining Jesus' public ministry. He wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then while exiled on the Isle of Patmos, he was, given, he was given a revelation. He was given a vision. He was given a vision of being able to describe, how about this? He was, being, he was able to describe something absolutely indescribable in what heaven is like. Well, when John writes this first letter to the church, 
This is some 45 to 50 years after Jesus has ascended into heaven. Quite likely, John is the only living, original disciple that had actually walked with Jesus. At this point in his life, he's much older. At the point in this life, he is referred to not as the youngest disciple, as I said earlier. He is, he's, he's looked at more as the elder to the people. And you know how he looks at the church? You know how he views the church? He views the church as his children. And he even refers to them in that way. And many times he, he talks about love within, within this letter. We won't have time to look at the entire letter today. But I encourage you before this day is over, take, take about 20 minutes. Take about 20 minutes and read all five chapters of 1 John for yourself. I believe it will be a blessing for you, and I also believe it will be a great encouragement in regards to the necessity as well as the opportunity of reflecting the joy of the Lord uh, to other people. Now, that being said, John understands the struggles that we go through. And look with me, if you will, just in chapter 1. Let's begin with verse 5 here. He talks about the importance of walking in the light, walking with Christ, imitating Christ, being, being as much like Christ as we can possibly be. But this is how he puts it in this particular area. He says this, This is the message we have heard uh, from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is a practice that had begun to take place at this point in the first century church. Some people were claiming to be sinless. No sin in their lives. And basically what John is saying is, is that if you have that opinion of yourself, if you have that mindset, then you've made our God and you've made our Savior a liar. What need would there have ever been for him to have gone through such an excruciating death on the cross rise again and ascend back in heaven. What reason would we have for that if we were not going to continue to deal with sin in our lives? So he says to them quite directly, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And he goes on to say, and the truth is not in us. Maybe 1 John 1, 9 is a passage that you've memorized before. Maybe you've heard it before. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then again he says, if we claim to have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Now look at the beginning of chapter 2. See here, he loves these folks. My dear children... He says to them, see in our Bibles, we divide things up, chapters and verses. He's still going on with the same thought here. And he says to them, he says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not, what? What does your version say? I write this to you so that you will not sin. 
He loves them so much. He doesn't want to see them make mistakes. He doesn't want to see them go against the will of God in their lives. Folks, he's saying to them, don't sin. But continue reading. He then says to them simply this, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Who is that? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Praise be to God that God directed John to write this letter to the first century church. And these words that were so powerful and so meaningful and I believe so beneficial to that church of that day carry the same weight for us in the worlds that we live in today as well. There was a uh, survey that was done a few years ago by uh, a periodical called Discipleship Journal. And in that periodical, they asked the question of what areas did people have the greatest challenge spiritually. So in your life, where do you, ch where do you have the greatest challenges uh, within your spiritual life? And here's what some of the people said. Number one at the top, materialism. Followed by pride, self-centeredness, laziness, anger, bitterness. Any of these relating to any of us here in the room today? What, no amen at this point? <laughs> Let me keep reading. Maybe I'll find one that'll, that'll, that will hit home with you. Let's see, we talk about materialism, pride, self-centeredness, laziness, anger, bitterness, sexual lust, envy, gluttony. Lying. Still, any of these relate to us. We can find ourselves in here in some way, if we're honest. The survey respondents also noted, noted rather, uh, that the temptation that they dealt with was so much more potent when they neglected their time with God and when they were physically tired. You see, we have... <laughs> We have this nature about ourselves. If we allow ourselves to become drained physically, emotionally, and spiritually, guess what? We are opening ourselves up to attack. Even from with, it'll either come from within, from our own sinful nature, or it will come from without with Satan put, putting temptations into our lives to deal with. So folks, here just very briefly... I want to encourage you as a church, if our responsibility, if our opportunity is to communicate the joy of the Lord with people that we meet and also with people within this particular body of Christ, then we have to be on our guard. We have to be on our guard by first and foremost preparing ourselves to resist temptation in our lives. And folks... That's easier said than done. But it is so important that we put safeguards in the way so that we will be able to resist temptation. Now, another great writer uh, from uh, the New Testament turned back a few books to the book of James. James is another one of my favorite books in the Bible. James is a half-brother of Jesus. James writes 
probably about 15 to 20 years after Jesus has ascended into heaven. James is a leader of the church in Jerusalem when he writes his very short book. And he's very intentional with what he has to say to the church at that time. Basically, five chapters long, 108 verses... And a lot of people call it the wisdom literature of the New Testament. Because this is what he says. He says, if you say that you're a follower of Christ, here are some things that you should be doing. If you say that you're a follower of Christ, here are some things that absolutely should not be a part of your life. Black and white. And here, once again, if you'll take about 20 minutes and read through James's letter you're going to find some things, quite likely some things, that will challenge you personally. How do I know that? Because it happens to me every time I sit down and read through it for myself. You know, sometimes when we do choose to sin, we also try to make ourselves to be the victim of it as well, right? Once again, no amen. We try to make excuses, right? We'll say things or think things, maybe maybe like this, whenever we we find ourselves sinning. We might find ourselves saying, Well, it's not my fault. Or how about this one? Well, I couldn't help it. How about Nobody's perfect. Or how about this one? Maybe you can recite this one with me. The devil made me... What? The devil made me do it. That's right. Well, you know, in James's day, there were some people that were proclaiming that God had put these temptations into their lives. And if you will look in the first chapter there that James writes uh, to the church, he says, look at verse 13 there, chapter 1. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one of us is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Now most of you do not know me. And I don't know the majority of you. But will you allow me to be transparent with you for just a moment? I'm going to share a story with you of a time when I didn't get it right. A time not too long ago. How about this? Christmas Eve. It's Christmas Eve afternoon. All kind of things are still yet to be done. Christmas Eve is the time whenever uh, our family, uh, my parents, my, my wife's uh, father... Our four sons that range in age from 16 to 6, we all come together at our home. Melanie is responsible. My wife, Melanie, is responsible for putting together the Christmas dinner for that day. We try to get everything ready before we go to First Baptist Popperville and and take part in the Christmas Eve uh, worship service and the Lord's Supper. But that particular day, about 4 o'clock, Melanie comes to me and says this, we need to go to the store. But I'm going to be a good husband. 
I'm going to go with her. Poplarville's not a big place. We got a pretty decent store. Seemed like everybody that lived in Poplarville were in there for that same cream of mushroom soup that we went in there for. Somehow or another, though we kept finding things that we needed, wanted, so much so that when it was all said and done, it was $146 worth of things that we needed slash wanted at the last moment. Stores full of people. Everybody's trying to get around one another with the buggies. Y'all know how that works, right? There we are. We're in that store. Melanie makes a statement to me. She says, you know, I really wish that we could do a duck again during the Christmas holidays like we did during Thanksgiving. And I liked the duck that she made at Thanksgiving. So I said, well, I think that's a great idea. She says, I just don't think I can find a duck anywhere. Long story short, I said, well, don't they have one here in the store? Well, in Poplarville? No. We rounded the corner, though, and right there in the open cold case, guess what was there? Two ducks. Now, given these ducks are a little more expensive in Poplarville than you might find them somewhere else. But I picked up the duck, and I'm surveying it, and I'm looking at the price, and how much per pound, and will it feed everybody, and kind of, you know, okay, do we really need this, and, you know, are we going to be able to swing this? You know, we're thinking through it, talking through it, and all of this time that we're talking about this duck, there's a lady that's standing behind us with her cart, and she can't get past us. I haven't seen her. Where am I fixated? The price of the duck. <laughs> Melanie happens to turn around and she sees the lady. And she says, Stan, move over to the side so this lady can get by. So I move the cart over and I'm holding the duck. The lady comes on by. Melanie, oh, she's so gracious. She says to the lady, she says, I'm so sorry that we were in your way. The lady passes by, turns around with an old smirk on her face. That's all right. You only made me wait. You don't know me very well. I had that duck in my hand. And in Jesus' name, before I knew it, it was up like this. And I begun a prayer. Lord, if you will give this duck one more flight, I want to see this duck, as my six-year-old would say, I want to see this duck go straight up that honorary woman's bohunkus. Ah, y'all didn't laugh as much there. Some of you done started judging. I can sense it in you. I know how to read a crowd. And before you start judging, let me just share with you. There are Bible preaching, there are song leading, there are Sunday school teaching, and there are even chair saving folks that all deal with what I dealt with on Christmas Eve. Yes? No? Our God knows that. John understood that. John says to the people, don't sin. 
But if you do sin, thanks be to our God that he's provided an advocate for us so that we can be forgiven. Now, does that mean, okay, well, let's just go on out and do what we want to do, say what we want to say? No, it doesn't mean that at all because, you see, if you go back and you look at what James has to say, he says, be very careful. If you say that you're a Christian, here are things that you should be doing. If you say, if you say that you're a Christian, here are some things you absolutely need to avoid in your life. And you know what one of the main things is he says you need to avoid? Temptation. One of the ways that I like to illustrate that with the students that I work with is this little toy that I confiscated from one of my boys several years ago, and I've been using it. You see this ball right here? This ball is pretty intriguing. This ball, in a lot of ways, is like, is like the way that we are tempted to sin. You know, one of the things that, one of the things that I wish is that sin would be disgusting to us. I wish that temptation would be something we would not deal with at all because, because sin is so awful that we would not want to be anywhere around it. Case in point, I walked into a Walmart not too long ago. It had way too much coffee on the interstate as I am driving. Are you with me? Wanted to make a little pit stop there in the front of the store. I'm headed to the restroom, and there she is. There's that woman with that little yellow cart. Here she's cut. She's coming. I'm trying to get to the door before she gets to the door. The race is on. I really need to win. <laughs> she's been a smoker for a long time. She started hollering out to me, baby, baby, baby. We don't know each other like that. <laughs> baby, uh, you don't want to go in there. Somebody just went in there and they made a mess all over the place. They were sick. You know what? I didn't need to go to the restroom any longer. You know what else? I didn't feel the need to go in and inspect the situation for myself. I did not have any desire to go in there and see. Well, I want to see what that looks like. I wonder what it smells like in there. Why? Because I trusted what she said. I wish that sin and temptation could be just that vulgar to us. But Satan knows that it's not. And you know what? Our God also knows that we deal with it. Because you see, sin is really, and temptation is really much more like this. You continue to read there in James chapter 1. He says that, that what happens with temptation is that, first of all, we are enticed. It gets our attention. And once it gets our attention... Then we begin to develop a desire. Kind of like some of y'all are sitting out there right now and you have the desire to play with this ball after the worship service. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> and we are enticed. And James says once we become, once we become enticed and that desire begins to grow... That that desire gives birth, is conceived and it gives birth to sin. 
And when sin is full grown, what does he say? It gives birth to death. Now, folks, that can be a spiritual death. It can also be a physical death if we allow our sins to lead us that far. But basically what happens with a spiritual death is that sin becomes a barrier. It becomes a barrier between us and our relationships. And if that's true with our interpersonal relationships, guess what else? It's also true with our relationship with our God. Ever heard anybody say, or maybe you've even prayed this yourself or thought this yourself, I'm praying, but I don't feel like my prayers are going any further than the ceiling. There's a barrier that's in the way. So folks, if we are going to be intentional as the church, pastor or not, to demonstrate and to share the love of the Lord and the joy of the Lord, then we must be intentional about avoiding temptation in our life. We must have some safeguards that are in the way. That, ref- that survey that I shared with you that was from the Discipleship Journal, uh, the people who took that survey, they went on to say, they said one of the ways in which it was, they found it easier to resist the, the perils of temptation, number one, was through prayer, followed by avoiding compromising situations, followed by Bible study, and then also being accountable to someone else. Can I put it to you this way? Very simple, very simple statement. It's hard to pray and to sin at the same time. John got that. James understood that. And they wrote to us so that we can understand it today as well. Being ready to resist, preparing ourselves to resist temptation. The second thought is very much like it, and I'm a two-point guy. That means it's about over. (laughs) Not only should we focus upon and be intentional about resisting temptation in our lives, Folks, I want to encourage us all to be very intentional about focusing upon and using and applying the Word of God in our lives. You ever heard or you ever memorized that verse before? It comes from the Psalms, Psalm 119, Psalm Psalm 119.11. Has it rung with you yet? Thy word, if we're doing it from the King James, thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee, against you. But folks, it's not good enough just to memorize one verse if we don't remember, if we don't memorize and study the other verses that will truly help us not sin and fall into the traps of of temptation. We have over and over in God's Word where we are encouraged to read it. We're encouraged to study it. One of the things that I shared with the students and I shared with the group that was here this morning, earlier this morning, is that God has blessed us not with one book. 
He's blessed us with 66 books that we have bound together. Different authors that have been inspired in order to help us understand what God's pleasing and perfect will is for our lives. And all we have to choose to do, all we have to choose to do is be intentional about applying this wisdom, this direction in our lives. Because guess what? We're all going to deal with temptation. Do you know how I know that? Because our Lord was tempted. Know the story? It's recorded in Matthew's gospel, also recorded in Luke's gospel. Jesus is baptized. Jesus goes into the wilderness where he fasts. And during that time, he is tempted by Satan. But guess what? Every time he was tempted by Satan, three times Satan tried to get him off track. And every one of those times, if you'll go back and read it for yourself, wish we had time to study it. Every time that he was tempted, do you want to know how he, how he replied to Satan? He used Scripture. Go back and read it. Each time Satan tempted him, he went back at Satan with God's Word. The bottom line is simply this. This collection of books can keep us from sin. Or our sin can keep us from God's Word. Now with free will and free responsibility, we get to have the choice. And it's my hope, church, that as you continue to seek a pastor that you definitely do not stop growing spiritually. That you don't put your spiritual growth on hold waiting for somebody to come and to lead. That you're very intentional about getting into God's Word. Here I've given you two books. Total, it'll take you about 45 minutes to read both of them. Take you longer to study them. But about 45 minutes to read First John and also read James. If you'll do that, I trust that he's going to reveal to you some ways in which you can continue and be intentional about sharing the joy of the Lord with people that you know and with people that you had the chance to be in contact with on a regular basis. I'd like to have the opportunity while I'm here with you today to, to lead you in a time of, of, a, of a traditional uh, benediction and uh, invitation for uh, this time. And the invitation is simply this. Since you do not know me, if there's something that you've been dealing with in your life and you'd like to have somebody pray with you regarding that, Sometimes it's easier to talk to somebody that you don't know. So if that's the case, then I'd be honored to pray with you today. Now maybe for some of you, you'd rather talk to somebody that you do know. So I've asked James to go on ahead and be prepared to, to come down. Corey's going to be playing for us uh, in, just a, in just a few moments. Perhaps you'd like to go to one of them and, and, and talk with them. But praise be to our God 
because of Jesus' sacrifice, guess what? You don't have to come to either one of us. You can stand right where you are, and you can humbly bow your head, and you can ask God to forgive you and to lead you through what He already knows that you're dealing with.